Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 75. You're used to hearing that rat Martino's voice right now, but it's not. It's mine. I'm hosting. It's going to be better than usual. And I'm always, as always, joined by Matt Santangeli. Ironic that I make a mistake as soon as I start insulting Martino. How are you doing, Matt? Doing well. Milan are winning. Milan are top of the table still at the time of recording. So I, I, I just couldn't be, couldn't be in a better position. When they're, they dictate my happiness pretty much. So <laughs> if they're doing well, I'm normally doing pretty well myself. I would love to say the same, but I'm just numb immune to Arsenal underperforming now. I'm just, I've written the season off. I've, I'm all eggs into the Europa League basket, hoping that we can do something there. But apart from that, I'm pretty, pretty content with the mediocrity. Like I'm, I'm not letting me affect it. I promise you. I promise you I'm not, even though I do want to talk about VAR and officiating later on when we do get into the Premier League stuff. We're not alone today. We are joined by a special guest uh, known as the man who loves chips or crisps, wherever you're from. Roberto Rojas. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, chips, by the way. Chips. chips that's, that's the right word that we use. Chris, uh, listen, I don't know what Listen, we've got a split of it. listeners. We've got a split of listeners, about 40, yeah, 50% but... in the UK, 40% in the that's South. That's pet- pandering to the America. UK audience. Are you come on, Basically, bro. yeah, I'm about to say, like, come on, man. We're, we're going we're gonna to let you say fries instead. I mean, that's <laughs> much easier for you. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, listen, we've got so much to talk about because, as always, football is crazy right now. Teams seem to be playing. It seems to be as though I'm as exhausted as the players covering football because, uh, you know, they are playing so often. But first and foremost, uh, the Barclays Premier League, well, no longer the Barclays Premier League, the Premier League, City have kind of put a pin in the title race haven't they Matt I mean a massively impressive win against Liverpool who I thought kind of played into their hands when it went to 1-1 but I just they look so so dominant and you consider without Sergio Aguero without Kevin De Bruyne Emmerich Laporte who has been their best defender for the last 18 months not even getting a look in no Carl Walker really impressive isn't it it is. And, you know, this is where you want to be playing your best football, right? You know, we talked about, you know, um, Man United. We talked about, you know, Chelsea, obviously, at length coming into the season. Liverpool, obviously, they had their injury crisis at the back. And they're still trying to, you know, at this point, salvage top four. I think that's probably their most realistic objective, right? But I think this is where City is playing their best football. They got you know, the players flying on all cylinders. The form is really strong. So you can kind of start to see everything's kind of come together and, what better time than now, right, ahead of the, you know, upcoming knockout stages of the Champions League, which is something that's always evaded Manchester City really since they've had this new takeover, all this money put into this and the ambitions and the, 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 the level has been raised so high to, to meet that sort of standard. So if you're a City fan and you're looking at what, their, what the current state of the club is and just their positioning, their form and the overall feeling about them is you got to be looking around and thinking, all right, Liverpool looks like they're, they're kind of spiraling um you know certain players yes playing pretty well but as i mentioned defensively they're they're not quite there they don't look as sharp in certain respects with you know alexander arnold not playing his best and not being um the same player he was last year um and then you look at man man united right obviously a team that's could be very strong on their day but one week they can you know drop points and they look really not like title contenders so if you're city and you're really looking at just kind of what you're the rest of the way looks like. And if you can kind of keep this momentum going, you got to like your chances to be a team that, that can definitely win a Champions League and, and reclaim that status as, as English champions as well. And Roberta, I want to get your thoughts. You know, from your perspective, this must have looked like the first really tight title race we'd see in the Premier League for, for a little while, but City seem to be really stamping their authority on them. And do you think Pep Guardiola deserves a lot of credit for this? I mean, he has become really pragmatic this season. He has got guys like João Cancelo and uh, Phil Foden and Ikai Gundogan and Ruben Diaz and John Stones playing to a level that maybe a lot of us didn't think was possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also just getting rid of those cobwebs that had hindered them for quite some time, especially after last year. I think obviously, you know, the way that they were absolutely blown away by Liverpool and all the other teams were as well. I think they really wanted to stamp their authority and understand that something like this does not need to happen. Um, when especially, you know, the main objective for Manchester City is to win the Premier League. I mean, obviously they have different ambitions, like, you know, winning as much domestic titles as possible and obviously the Champions League, but 
their main objective as well is to win the Premier League and to do it in such a tight league as we see. I mean, like, I think you said it right. I think we're seeing one of the tightest seasons in a long time, especially in comparison to how we saw it last year with Liverpool blowing away the opposition. But yeah, I, I just... I just worry about Liverpool as well. I just worry about, you know, the fact that all these guys, and this is not just um, directed at them. I think this is directed at a lot of these teams that are just playing so many games. You have so many injuries. I think physically they must be drained mentally as well. I mean, you're not getting the most out of the front three. I mean, when you're missing important players like Virgil van Dijk and you have Allison who was shot, like just, it just feels absolutely bad to see a, a Liverpool side who just blown away the opposition last season and just become uh, a different shell of themselves. So, yeah, I, I think for City, in terms of how they were able to be flexible, I think Guardiola has done a really good job with this side. And I think they really are looking in pole position to possibly be crowned the new champions. I know we don't want to say it now and say, hey, you know, the season's over. But looking at how all the other teams are stumbling upon and, and knowing how City are just trying to regain their form and and trying to be in a good position now in such a crucial part of the season, I think you can make a, a strong claim that they're, they're really up there that, to, to take that crown at the end of the season. Yeah, and I think that there is, he has been under so much scrutiny, Pep Guardiola at Man City, particularly for his failings in the Champions League, and I think rightly so, right? Everyone here around the table can sit around, but we're around the virtual table, by the way, guys, social distancing and all that. We can all agree that he has underperformed in the Champions League with Manchester City. But that isn't to say that what he has done with certain players and with this squad has been really impressive. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of City fans were calling for Phil Foden to to play instant minutes at 17, 18, 19. And we've seen now that Pep Guardiola has kept him hungry. He's kept incrementally increasing his playing time. And we are seeing potentially one of the greatest English talents to ever come into the game. Again, I'm not saying that really lightly, but you've got a guy who is technically as good as an, any English player I've seen come out of uh, the UK since uh, Wayne Rooney. I mean, England seems to be blessed at the moment with the likes of Jaden Sancho, Phil Foden, etc. Trent Alexander-Arnold Arnold all coming at the same time. But Phil Foden has been really a focal point for Man City this season. His record, I think, against the top six is like 15 goals and assists against in 20 games. It's uh, unprecedented, really. And I think what Guardiola does as well when he brings these players in, sometimes you think, oh, he's bought in Rodri and he hasn't really played the first season, or he's bought in Cancelo and he hasn't really played him, or buys Mares for 50 million, doesn't really play him. And then they take a season under Pep Guardiola, they get understanding of the tactical things that he wants them to do, and then they start flourishing. And when they do flourish, they do incredibly well. So Matt, I want to pitch it to you. Like, How impressed have you been specifically by the man management and development of some of these players by Pep Guardiola? And like Phil Foden, for example, from, from an outsider's point of view, how impressed have you been of him? Well, I think it, it, it takes a collective trust, right? I think it's, you know, we always hear in any some basketball terms, you know, the Sixers that Joel Embiid trust the process, <laughs> right? And I think it's, I think for never an easy thing for a new signing, a flashy new signing. You mentioned, you know, like a Rodri or someone that comes in of that ilk, that profile, that, that fee attached to them. And their, their expectation is, well, you paid this much money for me, so I'm going to be a starter. That's kind of how a lot of people perceive things. But when you're a club that's you know aiming as high as Manchester City is, as far as their domestic ambitions, their European ambitions, you got to have that depth in numbers, yes. But I think it also takes a collective trust because I think when they got a Joao Cancelo from Juve, I think a lot of Juventus fans were outraged by that. They were like, he was phenomenal for them. He was pretty good at Inter. And then he went to Juve and he was very strong. And then all of a sudden they're saying, why are we getting rid of this guy? And then it looked like City maybe had a little bit of a mistake there. People were looking at, he's like, this guy can't really defend. He's, yes, he can really do a lot going forward, but he's not as consistent. He's not the same player he was in Serie A. And then all of a sudden you're saying like year two, year three down the road, he's like, and established like one of the best in the world yet again. And it just goes to show you that there is those select few managers where, and I'm not saying this is always the case, but when you're a high profile manager like Pep Guardiola, who's well-traveled, has won quite a bit, has achieved so much, and then you go into establish your system, that has to be known to the players coming in. That has to be known to the young players coming in. You may be making that step up from the academy level to the first team. Like you can be a hot shot at the academy level, but you're gonna have to earn your own and 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 improve yourself at the top level. 
You know, so it's not always, you know, as simple as, oh, well, Foden's a great talent, so he's just going to walk right into the first team. Sometimes that does happen with injuries and, and proper rotation. But I think now you're starting to really see, like, that second wind of a Pep Guardiola team at City, if you guys get what I'm saying. Right? I think there was a lot of people that started to maybe question whether or not, is he done? Is his cycle over at City? Is he going to maybe go you know, explore a move to Serie A because there was the links to Juve and, and maybe some other projects, maybe the national team in Spain? something like that. But now you're also starting to see this, this sort of new lease on life to hit the Pep Guardiola's city project. And, you know, with those players you've named, your Mares, Foden, Cancelo, I mean, you could go on and on and on. Now you're starting to see like that sort of foundation, that nucleus, that core take shape and really just start to put it all together. And it's, it's really impressive to see. And of all seasons, like we, you know, we've been talking about in previous episodes, right. The sort of, the, the current climate we're in with the pandemic and how that really kind of plays in a role in, um, you know, a knockout t- sort of situation with the Champions League is, I mean, all it takes is a sort of a couple, a couple of friendly rolls their way, draws their way. And then you find City in a final and they, they got the talent there. They got the coaching to win a, win that title, that evasive title, right? You know, many ways what we saw PSG last year make a title run. Of course, they came up against Bayern Munich, who are treble winners. But you get the point of where City could potentially be headed if they can find a way to, to, to make this work when, when it matters most in those deep stages of the Champions League. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch their, uh, their development, really for the next few 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 months really in terms of the Champions League specifically as well um we're going to move on and talk a little bit about a realm of expertise that Roberto is very familiar with and that is South American talents but more specifically with Brexit over here in the UK I know if you're a UK listener you probably don't want to hear that word banded around too much because it's almost become a meme at this point but it is now a lot easier for players like Gabriel Martinelli, for example, or Gabriel Jesus, to come over to the UK, there is less red tape, as far as I'm aware, Roberto, for some of these exciting talents to make that direct jump to England, as opposed to going via a Portugal, maybe an MLS, maybe a, uh, you know, a team in Belgium, maybe a team in the Netherlands. So I want to get your take on this. Do you think we're going to see a trend of maybe some of these South American players heading over to England soon? Absolutely. And I think as bad as this seems from a political standpoint, we don't want to go into that real quick. But having said that, from a football perspective, it does really favor a lot of these South Americans. I think what we see now is obviously a lot of European teams are starting to poach away the young stars um, all across Europe, you would say, before they even make the first team or even just joining the first team. I think we see that in the likes of, you know, a big example I want to give is Ederson. Like, you know, he joined the Academy of Benfica when he was like 17, 18, he didn't even do a, he didn't even play professionally in Brazil yet. And now he's playing at Manchester city as one of the greatest goalkeepers in the world. I think what we're seeing now is a system that for a lot of these South Americans where now beforehand, it was much easy. It was much harder to get work permits because, you know, perhaps you weren't as established as you were, you know, meaning that you had to go to, like in Argentina or Brazil or, or an MLS or, or like you said, Pat, you know, we're going to like a Portugal or Netherlands or something like that before making that jump to the Premier League. I think what now we see is a, a different system of how, you know, these Premier League teams with the advantages that they have, you know, obviously offering a ton of money in terms of TV rights and, and what you can get in terms of contracts are starting to take advantage of this new Brexit perspective which basically is based on a point system so basically what needs to happen is for them to get an auto pass players need to get 15 points from six different tables that are based on how many international appearances you will play for um, during this perspective during your career and that's all based on where the ranking of your country is so obviously in South America usually you're looking at teams that are in around the top 30 top 40 um, when you look at almost all of the countries, probably like with the exception of, I think, Bolivia and, and maybe some other countries, we, we see majority of them in the top 30, top 40. So that gives them, the, gives someone who plays a majority of their matches an auto pass. Um, so that, that's one great thing. The other thing is obviously playing in the competition. So if you're playing in a specific competition where it's called a, a band, um, ranking so 
if you're playing in the Copa Libertadores, which is as equivalent as the Champions League in this case, um, that gives you points. And then if you're playing in the Sudamericana, which is the Europa League in South America, that gives you points in band two. And then you look at the leagues you play in. So if you play in Brazil and Argentina, then you're more highly ranked to get points compared to someone that's in Colombia or, or MLS or Uruguay, Chile, whatever it may be. Um, that can also add into more and more points for that specific player. So, yeah, I, I think, and we already start seeing it now. I think we have this, you know, the situation with uh, a, a young Ecuadorian that was on the radar of Manchester United and even Atlanta United here in MLS in Moises Caicedo, who was a highly rated Ecuadorian midfielder who had done well at Independiente del Valle, won the Sudamericana, is, was one of those box-to-box type of players, kind of like similar to Kante and, in the um, in the Premier League, I, I think what Brighton have, and obviously who got the club, that was the club that got him. I think what Brighton were able to take advantage of these new rules, and you know, for for something like them to go and get that probably would have been um, possible one or two years ago because of all the different jurisdictions that had to be made for these clubs to get South American players. Now, what we're seeing is an entirely different system that I think will favor the Premier League much, much more, and, and obviously will take much more um, advantage and then put them in that race of getting the young South American players that teams in Italy, teams in Spain, teams in France, and all across Europe are battling for uh, every so often. I mean, Moises Caicedo, I've heard some things where people are like, this is Brighton's best ever signing. Do you agree with that? I mean, I, I compare to him saying that it's almost as if they won the lottery, but no. That's like, but I, I that's think, like how people are reacting. Like a lot of no, it, no, it's 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 like it's huge. I mean, you know, this is some this is a kid that definitely had to be destined for a big team eventually. But the fact that Brighton were able to get him is it's almost as if they actually got something that that, that some kid that mattered. I think if it was any other player. I think, and, and you know, I'm, I'm speaking as someone that's not obviously Ecuadorian. I think if I was Ecuadorian, I'd probably react differently into that kind of sense. But speaking as to someone who has seen him play, who has played well at such a young age and is really the real deal, I, I think Brighton fans have every right to say that they, they hit the jackpot on this one, honestly. Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with him. I'm um, going to talk a little bit about VAR and officiating. I don't know if either of you saw... Uh, some of the decisions that we've seen over the past week or so. A couple in the Arsenal game against uh, Wolves. We had one in the uh, United-Southampton game. And then we most recently had probably the worst one in Thomas Suchek being sent off for West Ham for quite clearly an accidental elbow to Alexander Mitrovic. I mean, Matt, is it... (laughs) We get so tired of talking about VAR now, but like officials do they just need to be better like a lot of people have said to me pet it's because there's more scrutiny pet it's because of the hysteria around social media but like i mean it's really tough to defend the indefensible isn't it the far thing it's it's i think it's a it's a i'm I'm glad that we're speaking on it too and i unfortunately i'm i'm kind of in a way there was a well-timed uh far controversy on the weekend right you know because i think we're a couple years into it now it's a a matter of assessing like, okay, like three, four years in, like how is VAR being perceived? How is VAR being implemented? And ultimately, which is the main goal of it, how, is VAR doing its job, its purpose, right? What it was designed for. And across different leagues, I know I speak more, more so on what I've seen in Serie A. Um, it, it's, it's, really, it's really strange to me because there's so many things. Yes, it's uh, technology is the ultimate decider and a, a call, an offsides call, whatever, but there's still the human element that people wanted, right? Everyone wanted, they wanted VAR. They want the correct calls. Okay. So you bring VAR in and VAR is not going to be perfect because at the end of the day, it's, it's, everyone's got their own perception and the way they view certain things in the moment, right? You know, everyone's so quick to slow down a clip and say, okay, well, he got this wrong and this, this, and this. So how do you want it? Do you still want the human element of it? How much of the human human element do you want if if you do and then you want the, you want them to get the right call through technology we have all this technology let's use it how much do you want technology to be involved in the ultimate outcome of a, a, a an actual match or sport played by human beings right so it's like towing the it's like finding that balance towing the line between what you ultimately want and finding just ultimate you know 
that sort of even keel where you're not getting completely, you know, jockeyed around with the, with the way decisions are made, makeup calls. And I've seen that plenty of times with Serie A, right? Because, you know, as a Milan fan, they've gotten so many penalties this year and people are so quick to say, well, VAR is doing this, VAR is working in their favor, the officials are for them. But you look at the decisions that have gone for Milan and against Milan, they've more or less been accurate with the exception of one against Roma. So in that sense, yes, it's about getting the calls right. The numbers may be skewed and it may, there may be a perception that there's favoritism, but ultimately everyone wants to get the right call. And if, you, if you're a fan of a team, right, we all like our specific teams, our clubs, right? We're football fans first, but we all like our clubs. You have to kind of go back to why VAR is, in, is involved, what you want yourself from VAR and what ultimately football fans as a collective should want from VAR is getting the calls right. If you're going to try and say, well, VAR got this wrong, this and this and this, because it, it was against your team and it just so happened to hurt the outcome of your, your, the team, um, your team in a game versus saying, hey, like, it affected my team here, but at the end of the day, the call was, in fact, correct. That's where you have to get to. And I think you're, you're, you're spot on, Pat, with the hysteria behind social media. I think we're taking screenshots, we're taking slowdown videos and, and footage and, and, and really dissecting every single, every single thing we see and decision we see from referees. And I'm not saying they're not right or wrong or there's not that sort of gray area, but you want the human element still involved in, the, in decision-making. Otherwise, just have robots there making the, the calls, right? Or have some sort of technology with, within the ball to dictate whether or not they're offside or there was this or was that. So I, the whole VAR thing, it's exhausting, but I think it's really worth speaking on it a couple of years in because I think more or less we're seeing it really have its position across Europe, across football, and it's deciding matches and it's obviously calling, uh, causing quite a quite an uproar, yes, but also really not ultimately doing what it was designed to do is to avoid these sorts of ongoing conversations like we're having right now. Anything to add, Roberto? Uh, no, I, I think Matt and obviously Pat, you said it best. I think obviously the, the perception of what VAR has been given to fans and obviously pundits around the world is that, you know, it's, it's a system that is flawed. Yes, I think obviously it was meant to make the decision much more easier. But, you know, when you look at the controversy that is being made and you look at many referees that are trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to take the the spotlight in some way and trying to be the star and whatnot i think that's just not how it was intended to i think obviously we see the perception of what uh different referees are going to be made i mean obviously you know they have to follow the standards that are made in the laws of the game to get these calls right and to make them as error free as possible but you're always going to see those kind of reactions because it's the it's the interpretation type of style i think i think personally you know everyone has a different way of viewing the sport i think some people will view that as a foul or this is a foul that's a penalty that's a handball whatever it may be um so it, it just creates that much of controversy but i think what var was intended for is to get decrease that controversy and now where we've been used to it for many years as you said matt I think now it's just something that we need to just be accustomed to. And, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to create the wheel overnight. And obviously the sport is not perfect in any sense, but, you know, I, I think what needs to be done is to try to follow a system that is uniform in a way and to understand that, you know, this is the way it has to be done. This is the way things need to be solved. Yes. It ruins the originality of what the sport may be, but at least you're able to, get rid of that kind of errors that were lost because it went against your team or went for your team is what I'm trying to say here. I agree. Yeah. I think, two, go I on, think one quick thing to add to this um, guys is, uh, you know, so often that we, when, when like a handball happens, I think I've seen this plenty of times, this conversation always seems to come up, um, you know, every week, pretty much every match day uh, in Serie A when, there's the interpretation of a handball rule, right? The extension of the arm. Is it blocking the ball's path? All these sorts of things. And I think that's something that, that should be um, taken a look at a little bit further is the rules themselves. And because at the end of the day, right, the, the officials, they're only trying to implement the rules as they're laid out, right? So I think there's a lot of errors and, and there's a lot of issues with, with, with how the handball rules are used and, and the extension. Because I've seen one call with the exact same movement that exact same sequence be called a penalty and then virtually the identical same thing happened in another match and then you're not getting the same call 
is that interpretation of the rules being differently um, interpreted by the, the official on that match day? It could be, but right. So there's, I, I think maybe some uniformity is something that maybe we could lean towards. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, it's, 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 it's a really strange thing to kind of look at a couple of years in. And I, I do like VAR. I, I, I do like that part of it. But the more I've kind of gotten my taste of VAR, my glimpse of VAR in action, and ultimately how it's decided matches and the outcome of, of some of these big, big fixtures, I'm always almost sort of missing the, like the, the human element of like, eh, he's, uh, it's a great run, there's great pass, all these sort of things, but he's like a whisker offside. It's like, how far do you want to stray from that? Because we've seen clear cut offside calls that it's right. You, that's what you want. But then you're almost just like, it's a fingernail off. And it's like, well, he's offsides, so we're not going to rule that. It's like, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't know. I think maybe I'm somewhat of a it, towing that, that, that balance between being like a football purist where like I like the human element. I like just like the game itself and not having technology and the sort of officials and fringe on that that I see so many times in American sports where the refs and the, the umpires and, and the officials try to make it about themselves when they make a wrong call and they don't have that sort of accountability on their end. Right. So that's how I feel personally about it. And I'm hoping that VAR in time has some, some alterations, some tweaks to it where we can kind of somewhat erase the, the controversies and we can get back to somewhat of a, of a, a decent balance as far as get the correct calls being made, because I think there's still, so much of that week to week still so long for us to go isn't there i mean uh we'll see where we are in a few months as the rules maybe change as officials get held to account a bit better but let's see and um, want to talk about syria of course as always ibrahimovic and ronaldo showing for ages but a number i mean it's crazy to think that uh at 36 ronaldo has been playing at you know premier league or top five european league level for 18 years now like it's crazy to think about and it's crazy to think that Ibrahimovic has pretty much done the same since he's moved from from Ajax like these guys are just built different aren't they Matt and I mean two for Ibrahimovic Ronaldo scoring once more with a great left-footed uh, effort and um, again just proving he's still a goal machine how impressive is what they're doing it's it's incredible and I think you know listen I'm glad that none of us are team Messi team Ronaldo fanboys we're not those sorts of fans right we could kind of look at everything um, like honestly without any sort of bias to a degree and I'm just I'm looking at the stat here there's only three active players now who have scored 500 plus career club goals Ibrahimovic Messi and Ronaldo so like to put that into perspective we're getting three of the best footballers ever at one time I mean, I'm not going to maybe put Ibrahimovic in that same category as Messi Ronaldo. Um, although I think he's, he's had a, a marvelous career. He's accomplished so much just about every part of the globe, but it's, it's one of those things where if you're just a football fan, you can appreciate the fact that we're getting Ibrahimovic age 39 uh, amongst the top scorers for a club like Milan. That's top of the table, right? Then you're getting Ronaldo who at times look like he's carrying Juventus, although they've been playing better under Andrea Pirlo. And, I think some ridiculous stat that I've read about Ronaldo too, guys, is like after his 30s, he's got like 300 plus appearances, like low 300 appearances. And he's got almost the same amount of his goals as appearances. Like it's some ridiculous, absurd stat that just goes to show you like maybe there is something to a player not being finished after 30, right? Because we see that so many times where in the current era where, where clubs are so quick to dump a player, oh, he's after 30, he's in, his, he's in the later stages of his career, we got to go for someone younger. And we're all leaning towards the next young top prospect. But maybe this is just an outlier. Maybe this is just the exception, right? Ronaldo and Messi are exceptions to that. Ibrahimovic, an exception to that. And we may never see this again. And I think that's something that we as fans, football fans, have to really – appreciate um, more and more as we see it, because I think we'll we'll never see this generation of top players, in my opinion. I think there's there's too much involved as far as um, the physicality of the game, the amount of fixtures, the technology, the way that the landscape of the the finance is involved with players being just shipped out and moved across the world. Like you're not going to get, I don't know when we're going to see a a Ronaldo-like prospect, an Ibrahimovic-like prospect who's over almost two three decades scoring at a high level like that's that's absurd to me 
And it's something that I, as a fan of the game, first and foremost, just have really begun to appreciate the more I watch this game. Uh, yeah, I think it's remarkable what they've done. Um, we may never see it again. I mean, Roberto, any, any words of praise for these two? No, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, and look, I'll say this from me growing up watching the sport. I was thankful enough to see them since the start. Um, you know, I'm 23 and, you know, obviously following for a long time. I think, unfortunately, what we've seen, um, and my, I'm sure you've seen it too, and, and, and Pat, you as well, is that this entire cause of bickering, it's like, okay, we understand. We all have our players. We all like a certain team. We all like the way this player plays out of just pure perception of what the game should be like. It's fine. One will favor Ronaldo because he does this. One will favor Messi because of that. Because he plays on this team, he plays on that team. Whatever it may be. Even for Ibra as well. I mean, he's, he's a fantastic player. I think what we've seen is something that's, uh, you know, it's almost as if once they end their careers inevitably, and that's a, that's a sad thing to say as, we, as they head into the twilight of their careers, it's almost as if you know, you feel as if though you didn't appreciate that much of them because you were just constantly comparing them and bickering over who was better and whatnot, rather than just focusing on what they're actually doing. And, and that's, that's going to happen constantly. It happens in all sports. It happens even as, you know, as we're talking at the time of recording, when Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl, many people will still argue, hey, maybe he's not the greatest um, NFL player of all time. Some people will continue to argue that are much older. They'll, they'll hang on the past as well. The same thing with football when you have the likes of saying, oh, Zidane was better, Ronaldo, um, the OG Ronaldo was better, Pele, Maradona, those type of players. I think we just need to understand that these players only come every so often, every generation. And, you know, we've been blessed to see, you know, not just Messi, Ronaldo and Ibrahimovic as well. I mean, we've seen these players that have been just constantly been good for many years and have been at the top performing at every level right now in their 30s. It's, it's incredible to see. And, and I think people just need to understand that, you know, this is something that you won't appreciate until maybe they're gone. And, you know, who's to say that maybe when you get older and you're starting to, to remember the, the good old years and then you have this other young kids or young kids flourishing and maybe even breaking the records that Ronaldo and Messi have broken, you're still going to keep saying, oh, no, but these guys were better when, you know, you, you just don't understand that kind of thing. Um, I, I think it's just a case of just appreciating what you have, you know, the old cliche, appreciate what you have until, because you never know when you can lose it. And I think that's something that fans need to understand when you're trying to see three great players at the at the constant top of their of their game. Yeah, really well said. And we, we do it all the time with, uh, you know, LeBron James in, in the NBA as well, Michael Jordan, yeah. et cetera. It's getting always... all at the same time. I mean, imagine being a sports yeah. fan just in general. Yeah, even I was about to say. Loosely following football, because I saw a lot of people who, I, I follow for mostly their their soccer takes and their football takes and all those sorts of things. And I'm seeing them tune into the, the, the Super Bowl, which is obviously it's a huge event here in the United States, but it's something that is um, starting to get into the different markets across the world. And then they're looking at it like, wow, like this guy just surpassed the same amount of titles as Michael Jordan, right? Like, oh, he's got more than LeBron. He's got, you know, more, you know, it's obviously tough to weigh it because you're not, you know, football, the American football is not like that. You don't, you can't consider it like world champions because it's just competing within <laughs> the, U, the U.S. But you get the point, like we're now getting Le- LeBron, Brady, Ronaldo, Messi, like across multiple sports. Like this is such an incredible era and, and time to be a sports fan in general. And I want to you know, pay a quick homage to Rio Ferdinand, right? Just enjoy them, right? Like, <laughs> that, that one meme that always gets kind of circulated, right? They don't talk about it. It seems like there's a bit of respect there, but, but they're phenomenal to watch, right? People always make comparisons. Just enjoy them. Like, that's, that's kind of what I try to see. I mean, I'm a messy guy, and I think you know, many people who listen to the podcast would probably know that. I know Martino pretty much is too. <laughs> but, like, watching Ronaldo just pile in goals and big moments and just, just do what he does over such a prolonged period of time. It's truly like incredible to watch. And it just makes me love this sport so much and appreciate what they're doing. Think about how many different, you know, look, I'm assuming we're all of a similar age guys, but think about how many athletes that we've blessed to see. (laughs) (laughs) Think about how many great players that we've seen who are considered among the greatest in just this short amount of time and just feel appreciated of that. I think there is there is something though as well. It's like you know when Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, and Rivaldo were all in the same team, 
there was probably major consensus that those three guys were in the like top 30 players to ever play football, right? So I don't think it's it's quite maybe as big as we're making it out. But when you're saying like Ronaldo and Messi are the top two players to ever play football, like that is where the level is slightly drawn up, isn't it? Because there has never been anyone to play football as well as these two guys, right? So it's kind of like another level to what people have seen in the past. But I mean, just on Messi, Roberto, while we're here, you, you know, you've got uh, a lot of insight into what's going on in the Liga and stuff. And I want to make this the Liga segment part of Messi. I know we talked about it last week, but I wasn't here, so it didn't really count. But <laughs> the contract leak that we saw, I was definitely a Messi stays guy, especially if some of his friends joined the board at Barcelona. But that leak, to me, was the clearest indication that Lionel Messi is leaving Barcelona this summer. Do you agree with me? I do. And, you know, uh, you can make the debate about how much money he should be making. And again, I think we, we understand that how much money Messi is making is astronomical. I think we can all agree. I mean, 550 million across different years is, is incredible. But again, this is Lionel Messi we're talking about. This is a player that is among one of the greatest athletes of all time, let alone greatest football players in the world. Um, so it makes sense. And with that leak, I mean, yeah, it just feels as if though, you know, they're, they're, I don't know who was the, the mole in this case that tried to, to leak it to, to the press, to El Mundo when the, um, when the story came out, but it's almost as if, you know, why feel appreciative in a place that, you know, you made your entire career, you've given so much to the club, you know, the fact that this was a club that won one champions league before you came in. Now they have five, you know, and, and Messi has had a huge impact on the majority of those titles. He's broken every single record you could imagine at the club. He's, he's probably maybe their greatest ever player. And now you're going to treat him that way at right at the twilight of his career. I'd, I'd leave too. I mean, why feel disrespected by someone when you've given so much to them? It, it just doesn't feel right. And it just feels as if though, you know, out of all the drama that's been going on, you know, the whole, I think, billion-dollar debt that they're in as well, it feels as if, though, what's the point? I've done everything that I could have possibly done at Barcelona over the last 15 years or so. You know, I, I, he's basically there wanting to cement his legacy as, yeah, you know, the one-cup player, how that's um, – it's a rare thing nowadays in, in modern football, especially when you've had legends of – of the game who, you know, have left like Xavi and Yesta who were considered one of the standards at Barcelona and they've gone to different routes, but they'll always be remembered forever. But with Messi, it's almost as if, you know, oh, I want to still try to do something while I still have the, the, the legs to do it. And the way that I'm being treated, I don't want to do it here. So it feels as if though you're, you're basically saying, why, what's the point? Like just, go somewhere where he can be happy and he can flourish. And maybe in a way of Barcelona is kind of regretting the Luis Suarez move and how Atletico Madrid have been just flourishing so far. Um, it, it kind of could feel the same way with Messi, but that, that's, that's a huge gap that's going to happen once he does leave the club. Where do you think he's going? I mean, I know you guys want him in England, so that's, uh, that's one thing. Um, I mean, it's, it seems like it's just two clubs that have, you know, uh, presuming he stays in Europe, it seems like it's PSG or City, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one would, fa I mean, look, there's two factors here anyway that favors both of them. Obviously, PSG, you have Neymar there. You're playing with Kylian Mbappe, arguably probably a future Ballon d'Or winner. You have a lot of Argentinians there. You have an Argentine coach there yeah, in Pochettino. So stacking up. <laughs> yeah, but but look at City. Look at City. You have Sergio Aguero. You have, you know, his, his best friend. You have Pep Guardiola, the manager that kind of transformed him into the player that he is today. You know, you're, you're playing in probably the most open or best, you know, I guess we could put it in, in quotations, best league in the world. You know, it, it could favor him as well. So it's really a win-win, honestly. But... It's, um, I think yeah, it's going to be done this summer. Uh, I don't know where, I think, well, France Football actually just published a, a Photoshop photo of Messi with a PSG Come on. shirt. So gun to your, gun to your head, there. Roberto, gun to your head. I mean, my, my, fav my feeling is that he does stay admit of, admits all this controversy, but if he does wow. have to leave, yeah, if he does have to, hey, listen, 
I know this is completely out of the conversation, but what about the possibility of just saying, that's it? Wow. No more. I, I know that's a huge curveball, but I just want, I want to know what you guys think. <laughs> I would be shocked if he did that. I would. I really would. Like, I... I think he, if he leaves Barcelona and stays in Europe, he'll have a... If he leaves Barcelona, I think he might have a bit of a chip on his shoulder. I think there's work to be done. Uh, if you look at the amount of Ballon d'Ors and Champions Leagues him and Ronaldo have respectively, I think there will be part of him that says, there is a few people that keep saying that I've only ever done it with Barca. I think if he goes to City and he wins the Champions League there and the Premier League and is you know the best player in England, which you know, there's every chance that that would happen. If he goes to PSG and wins the Champions League for them, I think he might look at that and say, is anyone ever going to argue that than the GOAT? Because I don't think you could. Um, then the only question mark would be, has he done it with Argentina, which he hasn't, but not that many people actually win trophies with their national teams, as we all know. So I think, I get the feeling that with the leaks, he kind of wants to stick it to Barcelona. That, kind of legacy type thing where Ronaldo's done it in multiple countries, but he hasn't. I think there's a chip on his shoulder there. I, I don't think he'll retire. I think that would be a crazy one for me. I think it's two or three years. I think it's about two years at PSG or City, and then I think it's off to the MLS, and then back to Argentina maybe for a year. It's a, I, I think with, with, with him, I mean, and, and just footballers in general, I mean, yeah, footballers at this, this, this level, they all have egos. Like we all know that, you know, they're you know, the good people. They do this, they do that. And maybe they're, they show unselfish characteristics, but they all have egos. Footballers all have egos. They all look, they all know what their, their trophy cabinet looks like. They all know what their personal accolades look like. And I think you're, you're spot on pet with him. You know, I, I want something. I have something to prove himself. Like if you're a challenger, you play this game at a competitively competitive level and you really put everything into this, like it's many ways with Ibrahimovic, right? Like everyone was saying, well, why don't you just retire in, in, in sunny LA, right? And he was like, well, I'm a competitor. I'm, I, I, like, I like challenging myself. He goes to Milan and he's trying to do all these sorts of things. So I see the same sort of things in Ronaldo, which he's doing at Juve. He's trying to get them a Champions League. I see the same things in, in Messi, maybe in different ways they, 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 they you know, show it, right? Because I think Messi's a little bit more reserved in that regard. Everyone talks about, you know, Ronaldo, Ronaldo's more vocal. He's this big time leader on the pitch where Messi can maybe lead in a different way and, and whatever. But I think that he's got a couple more years at the highest level to maybe elevate a project um, like a city or like a PSG. Um, obviously, things can change. I think both those clubs have the financial wherewithal, the capacity, and they're probably the only two that would do that. Um, but, yeah, I think it makes it for a really fascinating summer. I don't think MLS is coming up right now. It's got a couple more years but i think you charted the the rest of the way there pet i think he's a couple more years in europe trying to kind of round out his 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 european journey and then mls because i think he's that would be crazy if it is into miami right i think imagine him imagine just someone uh-huh. like ronaldo messi coming stateside i just think that would be absolutely bonkers and well there is the, there, there is the connection if he does join city i mean he could join new york, new york yeah. the city football yeah. group. and he yeah. could get a similar like a similar sort of deal right i mean we're seeing the expansion in mls if we're thinking long term or longer term the expansion of mls right beckham came to major league soccer played with galley galaxy and then he, he had that sort of uh, stipulation that clause in his contract or that option in his contract when he signed for galaxy that he has like first crack at like expansion rights and now he has his own team so if you're thinking like that i think you can totally see of Ronaldo or Messi doing somewhat of the same thing because obviously MLS is a growing league. It's still young in comparison to what we're seeing abroad in Europe and in some of the uh, other, other regions of the world. But yeah, I think he's, he's got a lot to prove left. And if you're just have that competitive spirit in you, you're, you always want to aim for, for, for much more. And I think I see that same thing with Messi. I'd be shocked if he stays. Cause as we mentioned on the previous episode, guys, uh, me and Martino that this, he has like the perfect out now, right? There's what possible way could, Barcelona be in a position to help rebuild Messi and give him like a couple more years of playing and competing for the top, top honors. I think he could have potentially left last summer, but then I think he would have been deemed or, 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 or looked at as someone who's jumping ship in, in this sort of era or this sort of time for Barcelona. But now you're starting to see with the numbers coming out, Barcelona obviously spiraling out of control. They're just not the same, same club at all, despite 
some of the nice players they do have in certain areas, like now would be the time to make that move. And I don't think many Barcelona fans, although they'd be sour and they'd be, they'd be heartbroken, would probably understand it given their position. Totally agree. I think uh, we could see something crazy like uh, one of those two guys actually get a stake in some of those American clubs. I mean, they're that big, right? Um, and uh, what they would do for their brands would be fucking massive. So and see. it'd be great as well for the for the World Cup that comes here as well. Oh man, you know, like you know, we're 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 in dreamland at the moment. I want to finish up by talking a little bit about Borussia Dortmund. Um, if I've been having discussions, people like if these guys don't finish in the top four and don't get Champions League, which there is a chance that that happens, right? There are some good teams in the Bundesliga this season. If I look at the league, you know, you've had Wolfsburg that have done way, you've got Leipzig, you've got Leverkusen, you've got Gladbach. There is a chance that they don't finish top four. Roberto, Jalen Sancho is probably going to move this summer. But if they don't get top four, Erling Haaland has a 70 million euro release clause in January 2022. Could, will they be able to keep him in the summer? Well, I mean... Look at that. I mean, if you're looking at a situation where Dortmund do indeed um, face elimination from not making any of the, the European competitions, yeah, that, that's a strong argument. And listen, there are a lot of teams that could afford $70 million for Erling Haaland and definitely would want to have Erling I mean, Ruben Diaz costs €70 million, Euros, right? Yeah, exactly. And he's, been, so, uh, he's been phenomenal, right? But Erling Haaland, Haaland is, without jeopardizing that word, a generational striker, right? With the money that he has on that transfer um, clause, that the release clause, that that's a steal for any of these teams nowadays in today's market. So, yeah, I, I think it's unfortunate because these are two stars that have done very well at Dortmund. Obviously, we've seen Sancho uh, for many more years than Haaland, but they've done very, very well at their side with a lot of young players. Um, but, yeah, I think their objective is obviously to, to challenge Bayern for the um, – for the Bundesliga, I mean, that's always been their main objective. But the fact that they could indeed miss on top four and maybe not even make it into the European competitions is a huge danger. And that does send warning signs as to the future of the likes of, of Sancho and, and um, Holland, who are thinking, you know, why would I want to continue at a club that won't make me develop if not playing in the biggest competitions possible? So, yeah, there, there is a huge danger. I agree that one of these two, if, if not both of these two, could indeed leave in the summer if Dortmund don't reach that objective of making it to European competitions at the end of the season. I've got another, I've got another thing to sprinkle in, Roberto. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, UEFA, uh, FIFA, whoever decides this, the governing bodies are thinking about, aren't they? Um, they are thinking about reducing or capping the fees that agents receive. Mm-hmm. Could it be that Mina Royola is going to try and shift his biggest assets before that cap is imposed again i'm not a conspiracy theorist i'm just thinking out loud here well i mean he wants to secure his bag i mean (laughs) a lot of money over the years for his clients so he might as well continue gaining that much money um yeah i mean look i I mean no one wants to earn less than what you're you've been making in terms of agent fees over the course of your career especially when you're such a a character and no name like Mina Raiola. Um, I think obviously, um, in this case of Holland, because he's the client of, of Mayola, I think obviously they definitely want to get that much uh, money impossible before any of these different rule changes come about and they have to take a, a decrease. But again, we are in a pandemic as well. So it kind of feels as if though a lot of teams in football are, are making different cuts in all of their um, economical standpoints to, to reduce, you know, the spending and whatnot. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, but Raiola needs to make that money somehow. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he does do it uh, in the summer if, obviously, other factors go their way. Um, that kind of favors Holland to, to leave. And Matt, finally from you, I mean, Dortmund, Haaland, Sancho, it's, uh, we're going to be thinking about that more and more and talking about it more and more uh, on this podcast, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, uh, between now and the rest of the, the year, well, between now and the transfer uh, market in summer. Yeah. Um, anytime Royal is, he's, he's a wild card, right? Anytime he's involved, there's always some sort of, you have to kind of, you, you can't rule out anything, right? And you look at his client, his client list, he's about, you know, some of the big players that he's moved in recent years. I mean, Lukaku, you know, he's got Pogba, he's, 
Donnarumma, right? Donnarumma's a big one, too, with his contract renewal. Uh, still up in the air with Milan. I'm hoping he gets done, but you, we all know that he's got that sort of pull, right? He, he's, a lot, he's very manipulative. He's able to pull out of strings as far as creating a narrative, perhaps. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can look at with Raiola and his situation and, and just player movement um, from his clients. And uh, look, I, th- I think, is it possible that Holland moves this summer? I mean, nothing's impossible, but I think at the end of the day, you know, they're going to try and do something there where, look, you want to keep him? Okay, you want to keep him? Fine. We'll restructure his deal. He has a higher, higher clause. Um, and with a higher clause, potentially comes higher fees. I mean, we all know that there's a reason, right? Everyone blames Raiola. Everyone looks to Raiola and thinks it's he's the bad guy, he's the villain. But look at the player. The player chooses him as representation. Why is that, right? Yes, he does well for himself, but he also does well for his clients, right? So, I mean, he's getting Baltelli moves still. I mean, he's, he's a, he does a phenomenal job. Still that <laughs> no offense to Balotelli, but no offense to Balotelli, but oh, look, I mean, he, he, does a, he does a fantastic job. Everyone was, look at what he do with Pogba. He had everything in the media, right? He was saying, saying this about mm. Ole. He was doing this, doing that. And looked like Pogba was like, certainly going to be leaving, right? What, what happens at Manchester United? Shoot up the table. They're in first. Pogba's playing pretty well. He's in, in fine form. Everyone seems that they're really happy. They're talking about potentially a new contract. And with the new contract, okay, we want him. You want more money now. So uh, we'll let's wait and see what happens with this. I mean, he's always kind of a fascinating character to watch. I mean, I think he, people like him, people like Mourinho, you need them in the game. Otherwise, the game is a little bit bland. It's a little sometimes boring um, when you're talking about all these sorts of elements as far as player movement, just the personalities uh, involved in the game. And when it comes to Raiola and Mourinho, regardless of how you feel about them, they make for great entertainment. So that's kind of one of the things I do like about them both. Awesome. Well, I think, gents, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, Roberto, as always, a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to have you on, man. Well, again, thanks for, thanks for having me, guys. It was a real pleasure, obviously, to talk about everything in football. And, you know, maybe one of these days, Pat, uh, I will send you the best type of chips that we have here to, to yeah. England because apparently you need a memento from me. I do, man. I do. After that first episode, I kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know. When we first did that first episode, I... Uh, I was shocked to hear that we had some feedback saying that you were eating chips throughout, but you know, I, uh, I, 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 I do not begrudge you, man. I think chips are great. And if they taste good and you were hungry, you did had you to ever, do what you had to do. Did you ever reveal what kind of, now I think the, 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 the listeners are, are clamoring for it. They're begging. For yeah, it. absolutely. What, what chips I, I, were I, they? What chips oh, were they? They were Lay's honey barbecue. Oh, it's a good Damn. choice, though. See, guys, Adrian, you can't listen. You can stomach the sound quality if there's any sort of overlap <laughs> there. But those are good chips. Yeah, uh, good chip man, man's got to eat, man. Yeah, that's fair. Fair play. Matt, where can people find out more about you? Sure, on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo, and of course, me and Martino Puccio um, have also been doing a lot of work with Milan reports as far as some post-match commentary um, and and just some some weekly podcasts. So make sure you guys go check us out over there. Awesome. You can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. And you can find us at State of Play Podcast on all your favorite social medias, wherever you go, Instagram, Twitter, all that jazz. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We'll have more State of Play for you next week. <laughs>